you know, is Palm Sunday. <clears throat> and that's the day we remember the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy where he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Now I think there's probably no better way to celebrate Palm Sunday than to praise God and worship Him in spirit and in truth, right? Because on the first Palm Sunday, on that triumphal entry, many of those that were there that day were worshiping Him because of who they thought He was. And we don't know. It's, it's sometimes we preachers, we love to say things like the same people who welcomed Him on Palm Sunday crucified him on Friday. That may very well be the case. It may not as well. We don't really know for sure, but we do know there was a great crowd apparently who worshiped him on Palm Sunday, but they all abandoned him on Good Friday. In fact, even his disciples sometimes were hard on Peter because of Peter denying Jesus three times, but all the disciples said to Jesus, we won't forsake you. And all of them did. His closest friends forsook him. And so I can think of no better thing to do on Palm Sunday than to worship in spirit and in truth. We know why he came. We know what he came to do. We know that he died for our sins and that he rose again. And if anyone ought to be able to rejoice, it should be us who are on the other side of Calvary because of what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 146 because it's, it's one of those Hallel Psalms. Hallel is the last, the last five Psalms in the Psalter are known as Hallel Psalms because they begin and they end with the word Hallel. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And the point is to encourage those who are worshiping to worship Him, to praise Him, to, to, to just sing hallelujah to God. Now, we don't know Hebrew, but we can say hallelujah, right? We can say praise the Lord. And Psalm 146 begins... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Is this thing still working? Okay, good. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. 
he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And here it is again. It started with Hallel, praise the Lord, and it ends with Hallel, praise the Lord. So what's the psalmist doing? Well, he's calling us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He starts off by calling others to praise the Lord. Now, you, you, can't, you can't necessarily see this in the English so much, but it's plural in Hebrew, the opening expression. And so he's calling all worshipers to praise the Lord. But then he says to himself, Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's admonishing himself. He's resolving to give God praise. He's calling others, and he's calling himself to praise God. Now, it's been said that one of the most accurate measures of where we are spiritually is the intensity of our praise. Now, it's not the only indicator. And sometimes you can praise and not praise in truth, right? Some people, like on Palm Sunday, could praise God fervently, but not be worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. But one of the most accurate measures of where we are spiritually is the intensity of our praise. And every once in a while, when we go through the journey of life, and it's easy in the journey of life for our eyes to get shifted off of Jesus and onto people or onto problems or whatever the situations of our life, every once in a while we just have to stop and call ourselves back to what we're supposed to be doing, which is praising God. We must not worship in pretense, but we must worship in spirit and in truth. We don't always feel like praising God, do we? I mean, oftentimes, maybe this morning you woke up and, and you were tired, maybe you didn't sleep well, and maybe you kind of forced yourself, drug yourself out of bed and drug yourself to church. And maybe on Palm Sunday you thought, the last thing I feel like doing this morning is getting around other people and singing. Maybe that's how you felt, I don't know, I hope not. But it's in those times that we have to call ourselves, call to our soul and say, praise the Lord. Worship Him because He's worthy of our worship. I've been thinking this morning about, you know, what, what attracted you to Christ and His holy way? Like, what, what attracted you? And what, what are some traits in other people that attracted you to Christ? Attracted you to want to follow Him? And... It's, it's never, I've never had anybody ever say to me, some, somebody that's harsh or critical, but I've always heard people describe the fruits of the Spirit, right? That person loved me. That person was patient with me, was kind to me. And I was thinking this morning, Jesus, I want the fruits of the Spirit to mark my life so that I'm attractive, not me, but I want to attract people to Jesus, right? Because I want to call other people to praise the Lord. I need to call my own soul, but I also want to call others to praise Jesus. 
Sometimes we give gifts. You ever gave a gift and there'd be no sign of appreciation? Have ever done that before? Well, what, was, what good was giving that gift for them? They didn't even care about it. That's sometimes how we feel. And maybe we, obviously we can't see somebody's heart, but sometimes, sometimes you give gifts and you wonder, well, did, it even, did they even notice? I wonder how many times God has given us gifts and we not even praised him for it. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And on a sleepy Sunday morning, can we praise him for it? We ought to. God help us. Ingratitude means forgetting. Ingratitude shows that we've become self-absorbed. God help us. God help me. Why does God want us to praise him? It's not that God has an ego that needs stoked, right? It's not that God needs build up. You know, sometimes people need build up. You know, every once in a while you got to stroke some people's egos. You know what I'm talking about? But God's ego doesn't need stroked. When we give thanks and praise to God, what actually, we're, we're not making God any greater. He's already the greatest. What happens when we praise God? Something changes in us. We draw closer to Him, and actually, our spirits are lifted up as we turn our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes back on Jesus as we call to our own soul, praise the Lord, oh my soul. All of a sudden, the things of this earth begin to grow strangely dim as we sing about. So let's call to our souls this morning and let's praise the Lord. But verse 3 gives us a caution for praise. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, typically in the Psalms, when you have a call to praise, that's followed immediately with the calls for praise. But here in Psalm 146, there's a call to praise, and it's followed by a caution. And that caution is, don't get your eyes on influential people. Don't trust in princes. Don't trust in influential people. Because there's some reasons for that. One is, you praise the one whom you trust if he helps you. And if you trust in somebody who's influential to help you and he comes through, you sing his praises. And it's not wrong for us to give credit to where credit's due, but the problem is we can rob God of his rightful glory. And if we trust in God and we see God's hand behind whoever the influential person is, whether it be the president or whoever, the mayor, I don't care who it is, whoever the influential person is, if you see that it's God behind 
whatever good someone does, God then gets the glory. We tend, you know, elections come and we, you know, half, half the world is, or, you know, half of America's happy and half of America's angry. And four years later comes and then you're, it changes and your guy gets elected. All of a sudden, God's moving. I'm just old enough now to know that that's the tendency we go on. Did God change? No. Some think that this psalm, Psalm 146, along with Psalm 147 and Psalm 148, were written after the Israelites had been in Babylon in exile. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that existed in Jesus' day, the Septuagint adds to the title of these psalms the, these words, of Haggai and Zechariah, who were prophets during that time. So perhaps Psalm 146 was written by Haggai or Zechariah. But if you remember the setting, Israel came back from Babylon. And how did they come back? Well, King Cyrus allowed them to return to have the temple rebuilt. And you remember, at first, Cyrus gave permission. So you trust in princes, and Cyrus gives you permission. So, yay, Cyrus is great, Cyrus, yay, Cyrus. But then in Ezra, the enemies of the Jews persuaded Cyrus to put a stop to the construction. All of a sudden, if you were praising Cyrus and you had your eyes on Cyrus, all of a sudden you were disappointed. Don't put your trust in influential people. Because if we trust in influential people, we're likely to be disappointed. But if we trust in the Lord who can direct the heart of kings, we're told that in Scripture, He can direct the heart of kings whichever way He chooses, then we will praise the Lord even if those in high places give us favor or when they don't give us favor because our eyes aren't on the influential ones. Our eyes are on Jesus. And that's a truth we need reminded of often because if we get our eyes focused on anyone else, we're headed to disappointment, right? And if we get our eyes on anyone else, we can trust in someone else for salvation rather than Jesus. Our, our hope is not in any other man, any other woman. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteous, his righteousness, not anyone else. So don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in influential people. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But then he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, We cannot expect too little from man or too much from God. That's good. I heard about a man who he was struggling to trust God with his giving 
he wanted to give faithfully to the church, but he was having trouble. So he went to his pastor and he explained to his pastor that, you know, he, he wanted to trust God, but he was having trouble. He's afraid he wouldn't be able to pay his bills if he gave a certain, you know, if he faithfully gave. And so his pastor said to him, well, he said, if I promise to make up any difference in your monthly bills, if you fall short, do you think you could keep your commitment for a month, every month? You think you keep your commitment? If I promise that you give this amount that you feel like God wants you to give, if I'll make up any difference, will you do it? The man thought about it for a moment and said, Sure, if you promise to make up any shortfall, I guess I could do that. And the pastor said, Now, you just trusted in me to make up any shortfall. You trusted in me, but you couldn't trust your heavenly Father. You trusted in me who has little, but you couldn't trust in your heavenly Father who owns the universe. Why is it that we're willing to trust in man, but not in God? It doesn't matter who the influential person is. They can't provide salvation. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can deliver. Put your trust in him. So that's the caution to praise. Now, I want to give you some reasons or some causes for praise. Now, buckle up here. We're going to, we're going to cover a whole lot of ground here in a short amount of time. And I want you to think about these because then I'm going to offer you an opportunity. So verse 5 says, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Let me just tell you this morning, our God is a good God. Amen? He is our help. Have you found that to be true? We don't need to trust in man because the God of Jacob is our help. That's what the psalmist said. In Psalm 28, we're told, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I will praise him. When we need his help, he is our strength and he is our shield. He's our help. He's our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. But not only is he our help, but he's also our hope. He's the hope of those who trust in him. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. And that living hope is Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. He is our hope. And Paul said, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow in hope. He's a good God. He's our helper. He's the one in whom we hope. You know, sometimes our hearts are overwhelmed with feelings of hopelessness. The devil's good at that. 
But with Jesus Christ, there is always hope. With Jesus, there's always hope. It does not matter what your situation may be. It doesn't matter how big your pit may be that you're in. There is always hope in Jesus. But you've got to go to Jesus. He's our help in ages past. He's our hope for years to come. Our God is a good God. But our God is also a great God. Verse 6 said, Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So our God is great in his power. He made heaven and earth. He made everything that's in them. He made it all. It didn't evolve. It didn't just happen to be here. There wasn't an explosion at the lumber mill and houses built. No, he made it all because our God is great in his power. Paul said of Jesus, he said, By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he tells us that he's upholding it all by the word of his power, Paul says that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Our God is great in his power. That's a reason to praise him this morning. He has the power to speak this world into existence. He has the power to do more than what we're able to even imagine or think or do or or even ask for. He's great in his power. With him is an arm of flesh, talking about man. That's what, that's what happened when, when the Israelites were confronted with Sennacherib. And God said, don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of the king of Assyria. Don't be afraid of all the army that's with him. There's more with us than be with them. With him, with Sennacherib, is the arm of the flesh. But with us, The Lord our God, he's with us to help us and to fight our battles. Our God is great in his power. He's also great in his promises. At the end of verse 6, the psalmist says that he keeps truth forever. He remains faithful forever. God will keep his promises. The author of Hebrews said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's great in his promises. Joshua said, Not one good, or not one word of all the good promises of God that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. It all came to pass. Every word, every promise that God has made, he will keep every promise. I'm told that there's over 8,800 promises in the Bible. And over 7,800 of those promises are made to man. 
so you can be sure that God will keep every single one of them. So when God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, you can take it to the bank. He's not going to break his promise. So again, why would we trust in man when we can trust in the God who keeps all of his promises? He's a great God. He's great in his power. He's great in his promises. He's a good God. He's our help. He's our hope. But our God is also a gracious God. Look at verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over the sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he will bring to ruin. Our God is great in his grace. And he shows his graciousness in the fact that he fights for the helpless. God loves to help those who cannot help themselves. I've heard people say God helps those who help themselves. No, God loves to help those who cannot help themselves. God loves to deliver the captive. He loves to fight for the helpless. Paul said in Romans 5, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we helped ourselves. No, 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 no. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves to fight for the helpless. God also loves to feed the hungry. Some of you are probably wishing he'd feed you right now. Hold steady. I'll, I'll let you out soon enough. Our greatest need is spiritual in nature. And I'm thankful this morning that God feeds the hungry. He's a gracious God who feeds the hungry. He fights for the helpless and he frees the hostage. The psalmist said that the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus can set the prisoner free? No matter what you're bound with, Jesus can set you free. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. David wrote in Psalm 40, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me he heard my cry he brought me up out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay he set my feet on the rock and established my steps he's put a new song in my mouth praise to my God he sets us free he frees the hostage I'm thankful that our God is a gracious God aren't you He's also a giving God. <laughs> We're told here by the psalmist that he lights the blinded. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes 
of the blind. Paul said the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But our God has no problem opening up blinded spiritual eyes. He don't have any problem opening up physical eyes either. But I'm thankful this morning that he opens up our spiritual eyes so that we can see the glorious light of the gospel. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's a giving God. He gives light to the blinded. He lifts up the burdened. Verse 8 says, the Lord raises those who are bowed down. He raises up those who are oppressed. He lifts the burdened. If that's not enough reason for you to praise the Lord, let's go on. He also loves the believer. The Lord loves the righteous. Now we take that for granted, don't we? And we can, we can almost talk about God loving us like it's no big deal. Of course God loves us because I'm so lovable. Ask my wife. She lives with me. I'll ask your spouse. Find out how lovable you are. Maybe you're easy to love. Maybe not. But I'm thankful this morning God loves me in spite of me. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So God said in Jeremiah, God loves us. He loved us before we were believers, and he loves us as believers. And I'm thankful for that this morning. But there's more, because our God is also a glorious God who safeguards strangers. Verse 9 says the Lord watches over the strangers or he protects the foreigners, safeguards strangers. He supports sufferers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. He's the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation, is what Psalm 68 says. Our God supports those who are suffering. He cares. If you're suffering this morning, know that God cares for you. He supports you in your suffering. But he also, I thought about saying he, he stops the sinner because verse 9, the end of it says, he frustrates the way of the wicked. God has a way of stymieing. You know what that word means. He, could just, he can just stop the sinner in their tracks, just make it hard for the sinner. And I'm thankful God made it hard for me when I was in sin. He knows how to stop and frustrate the way of the wicked. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, where they looked for joy, they experienced disappointment. Where they expected success, they met with defeat. And whereas they thought to heap to themselves pleasures according to their lust, they find that they have only increased their misery. Now, let me put all this on one screen that I just told you so you can see it all. Here's some causes for praise this morning. I don't know if you can see it from that far away. But our God is a good God. 
Our God is a great God. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is a giving God. Our God is a glorious God. And then you see all those things. Now, I want you to pick a reason. And I want you to praise the Lord. Amen? It's Palm Sunday. Some praised Him in pretense. But we have reason to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So tell me, 